electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and technology permitting, Karen Feinerman will join us shortly. Coming up on Fast, the Danger Zone. The Chartmaster is with us, and he brought five charts that point to more trouble ahead. Plus, shares of Cisco surging after reporting results. The company's call is now underway. We'll tell you what they are saying about the future. Yeah, they're talking about the future. And later, President Trump says the time for negative interest rates is now. So we are breaking out our crystal ball to see what the market will look like in a world of negative rates. But we start off with today's big market sell-off. Stocks tumbling after Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the path forward is highly uncertain and subject to many downside risks. A prolonged recession and weak recovery could also discourage business investment and expansion further limiting the resurgence of jobs as well as the growth of the capital stock and the pace of technological advancement. The result could be an extended period of low productivity growth and stagnant incomes. And then there's this, Stanley Druckenmiller telling the Economic Club of New York that the risk-reward for equities may be as bad as he's ever seen, and David Tepper of Appaloosa telling Scott Wapner today that this is, quote, maybe the second most overvalued market he has ever experienced. So, did the markets just get a big dose of reality? Guy. First of all, <laughs> I know you're not in charge of music here on CNBC's Fast Money, but I will tell you, and I'm getting ready for the Twitter hatred, but Danger Zone by Kenny Rogers is up there. And we're going to play it over Loggins, and over again. Loggins, not, not Rogers. Yeah, Loggins, it's not Rogers. Rogers. doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, you know, Loggins. My point is, it's an awful, it's an awful song. <laughs> Loggins and Messina, I'll take, but Kenny Loggins, and awful. Come on, man. With that said, you know, there are a lot of people that um, bow at the feet of David Tepper for good reasons. But those same people then today say, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't listen to David. If you liked him when he was bullish, you got to respect him when he's saying this is one of the most overvalued markets he's seen in his career. And that on top of what Stan Drunkenmiller said, you know, absolutely has to give you reason for concern. And kudos for Dan Nathan, who will fricassee me at some point of the show, for pointing out the, the horrible performance of the banks while this market's been going higher. The good thing about today, if there is a good thing, is that the S&P traded smack down to 27.90, held and bounced 30 handles into the close. I'll take that as a ray of sunshine but you doused it with that awful choice of music. I actually called for that specific song guy, knowing that you hated it. Dan Nathan, fricassee now or later? No, well, listen, you know, Guy mentioned that technical level, 2790. I think what's really interesting about that is that in the S&P 500, that is almost exactly the midpoint of the range from the February highs to the March lows. It's also a level where we were a month ago, and it's also a level where we were a year ago. So the market has made very little progress over a longer period of time. And right now it's taking a little time to digest a little bit. Listen, I want to be very clear. I think every single one of us panelists in late 
late March, probably to the day, whether it be the 23rd or the 24th, we're saying that that 35% peak to trough decline was overdone. We expected a bear market rally in the, in the, in the range of 20%. We got to 35%. That might be commensurate with the sort of fiscal and monetary response that we got in such a short period of time. But now investors have to make a decision. I think listening to some of these guys like Tepper and Druckenmiller, who is one of the smartest investors of the last three decades, makes a lot of sense. They listen to a little bit about their history with the markets, their history with valuation, their history with crisis. To me, I think you want to be listening to those voices right now, especially when the market is at a very critical technical level. I mean, Jerome Powell today, Tim, and I know you hang on at just like many market participants hang on his every word. He also indicated that his worst case scenario is a period of, of, of low productivity growth and prolonged slow growth in income, which is not a good sign for the economy, not a good sign for the stock market. And he also said that we need fiscal stimulus, which almost sounds like, you know, that back, Fed backstop is limited in what it can do. Again, and we've hit this over and over again, this is not just a liquidity problem. It is right now, but it could be a solvency problem, which the Fed can't necessarily solve. No, they can't. And, 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 and that's the problem ultimately with negative interest rates, too. So we'll, I'll save that for a later part of the show. But the Fed can't solve companies who are, have no EBITDA. Um, and, and ultimately, you're going to get into a situation where uh, it will be untenable. Look, Fed's Powell today um, was realistic at best. Um, but on the downside, he, he really pointed to uh, an economy that will need more help and that all they have done here is to try to you know, throw a lifeboat to, to liquidity. And that's really all they should be doing. Um, so today was, was a concern. And it was a concern um, because I think you really uh, had converging thoughts. OK, we just talked about market players. But how about the U.S.-China rhetoric? Guy's done a nice job of bringing this up. Uh, if anything, I thought it was ratcheted up today uh, when, when you know, they essentially said, and through the, the mouthpiece that often is the Chinese government, um, that they will, there'll be consequences for, for states or individuals or companies that attempt to, to extract some kind of litigation or, or you know, some, something against the Chinese for COVID-19. So I, I think we had a handful of things after a six-day run in the markets before yesterday, where obviously the tide turned um, and the technicals broke down, which is why it's great we have Carter here today to talk about those charts. The gremlins have uh, gone for now, so Karen is with us. <laughs> Karen, what did you make of, of today's action, and especially in light of your final trade yesterday, which was mimed effectively when you crossed your arms? And I do think mime may be really underutilized in, in this format of yeah. television. But you crossed your arms, indicating you're yeah. going to stand pat. It's a stand pat, do nothing, right. I think that... Um, I mean, obviously, the run has been enormous. So we all know that Dan, you know, talked about the magnitude of the bounce back. So that's the number one thing. And then I think that, um, you know, we haven't had we haven't had a good look at all at how openings are going. How is it going to be to get this economy back on track? How how slow is it going to start out and how long will it take to actually get some real momentum and get a sense of how long it'll take? I, I feel like we have no data yet on that, yet the market seems to have priced, even with this two-day sell-off, seems to have priced things going pretty well in terms of, you know, people going out to eat again. Restaurants have been doing well. Um, you know, there's some hope for some retailers. So I, I think that ultimately we will get there, but I don't know how easy it's going to be. Mm -hmm. This rally the last six weeks made it look like no problem. It's going to be really easy. 
All that having been said, though, I'm long. I'm always long. So in a market like this, I really am not sure what to do except to wait for things to come my way or put on some hedges when they get too, you know, when they get too frothy. Mm -hmm. And so I do have some hedges on. I'm short some triple Qs, but I'm absolutely long. Google's my biggest position, Facebook, um, Apple. So I have, you know, I have exposure there. I, I have definitely exposure in the banks. I'm short some HYG. That's not really working right now. Um, so again, I'm a little stuck about what to do because I think that the Fed has given us a life, a life raft for some amount of time. Right. I don't know how long that is. Right. We don't know how long it'll stay uh, inflated, uh, the, the raft that is. Uh, speaking of banks, though, Tim, we have been <laughs> I, commenting for, yes. some good, time, good <laughs> for some time that, that they trade horribly. Dan, in particular, um, bringing up the most important chart of the world in J.P. Morgan. But you actually have another chart. Yeah, look at Wells Fargo. And, and so while we know that banks are making new lows relative to the S&P, and, and that is scary, and that speaks to yield curve, negative interest rates, uh, credit issues, Wells Fargo is a bigger concern because um, this is one of the, the top three, top four money center banks in the country. We know Wells Fargo's issues and some of their compliance regulatory things that have run afoul and certainly customer loyalty questions. But the way the stock's trading, if you look at this chart, uh, first of all, it's underperformed the XLF by 37 percent in 92 sessions. OK, that, that's implying that there's something greater going on. And, and I'll just say that Wells Fargo uh, on on both valuation and on its its relative uh, performance to the sector looks you know, untenable here. And in fact, there are a lot of conversations as people remember what went on back in the crisis of 2008 and 2009, forced marriages, uh, people that were forced to get together. I, I don't think we're at that stage here, uh, but it's very clear. It's very clear Wells Fargo is a wicked underperformer relative to its its peers. And that's after three years of underperforming. And it, it, it has me concerned. All right. Let's stick with the banks here and see what the chart master has to say about Wells Fargo. He's got not one, not two. He's got five charts that point to more trouble ahead. Carter, what are you looking at? Hey, team, how are you? Well, it is a problem. And we know that the market's rally has been on borrowed time, postponing the inevitable. And things like Wells Fargo are and are lurking. But let's look at the five uh, slides in particular. The first chart is that of the BKX. And you can see after the plunge that nice counter trend rally. But that's often what's called a bear flag. And then you break down through the lower uh, band of that channel. Now, put that in your mind's eye and then take a look at Wells Fargo. And Tim just touched on this. Wells Fargo could never actually flag. It never even bounced and then has now made a new low. So whereas the overall group was able to stage a bounce, Wells Fargo, no bounce whatsoever. Now, here's a comparative chart. Number three, it's just the market we know is basically unch, 12-month period, versus the BKX down 35. And then you've got, of course, Wells Fargo down 49. Um, weakness begets weakness. That's the nature of momentum, both to the upside and the downside, in this case, the downside. The fourth of the five, what we know, look at this sell-off. This peak to trough so far is down 63%. And that's compared to the financial crisis sell-off of 82. And I think there's more to go. Ultimately, I think Wells Fargo is going to touch 19. It closed the day at 22.53. Last chart. And this is the entire financial sector going back to the peak in 07. And this is the real, um, the real problem, that the entire financial sector could never actually get above its 07 high. Think about how far we are above our 07 high for the S&P. 
financials and the transmission mechanism for the whole system, the economy, something is wrong, it's been wrong, and it's still wrong. Carter, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank Guy Dami, pretty dire charts from Carter Worth. I wish I, I wish I was able to view the five of them, but as you know, it's very difficult for us to see anything where we are. But this too shall pass, as they say. But listen, Carter's been steadfast. Dan has been as well. So I am in agreement. I want to say one thing, though. Karen brought something up. You know, she mentioned being short HYG, and I think you said or she said, you know, it's not really working out. And it struck me, you know, Karen's about as disciplined a trader investor as you're going to get, and that HYG should be working out. But for the fact that, you know, th this money is poured in from central banks is artificially uh, disorganized mm -hmm. markets. So there are there is collateral damage um, for the central banks activities. And they come in a form of people trying to do the right thing and not being rewarded for it. I know that's somewhat wonky, but I think it's important because the collateral damage and the unintended consequences of these Federal Reserve activities are broad, and that's just one of them. Dan? Yeah, I'll just take you know, Carter's charts and Guy's commentary a step further. Obviously, the weakness in the banks, it's probably warranted. It's saying something about where the economy is. It's probably saying what the next 10 to 20 percent in the S&P 500 are. But I would tell you, equally concerning is the crowding in mega cap tech. And I know you guys covered that off the top yesterday, where you see Microsoft, Apple get back to their prior highs and be rejected. Google back to a prior level where it was rejected in January. A stock like NVIDIA, which trades at almost 15 times sales, is up 33% on the year, and it's trading yesterday. I was at an all-time high. There's some insanity going on here. So I would say the weakness in financial stocks, in banks in particular, and the strength in mega cap tech are equally concerning when you think about where we are right now relative to just valuation in the market relative to where we are in this, uh, this economic cycle, which I suspect is going to be a deeper and longer recession than most people think and what the market is pricing right here. All right, we got some breaking news here on Fiat Chrysler. Phil LeBeau's got the latest on that. Phil. Most Fiat Chrysler and PSA Peugeot, remember, they're in the midst of putting a, a deal where they merge companies. Well, both companies have announced that they will be suspending their 2020 ordinary dividend payments. Now, for Fiat Chrysler shareholders, that ordinary dividend, 70 cents a share, comes out to more than a billion, $1.1 billion for the company. That was supposed to be paid out a week from today. Well, because of COVID-19, both companies are saying, no, we're not going to be paying those dividends out. We should point out that both companies are also saying this is not going to impact the plans to merge the two automakers. Remember, as part of that merger agreement, they have agreed, each has agreed to pay out a special dividend to shareholders of about $5.95 billion. So again, both are saying that that merger continues on pace. We have yet to see the PS or the Fiat Chrysler shareholders vote on that merger proposal. That's likely to happen in the next month or so. But again, both Fiat Chrysler and PSA Peugeot suspending their ordinary dividend payouts. Melissa, back to you. Phil, thank you. And the stock of FCAU is up 3.6%. Uh, Tim, is that because the the deal's still on track, and that special dividend is going to be paid out eventually. So give up the smaller dividend, go for the special. 
I think that's right. I, I think people want to see that deal close. And, and then ultimately, you know, keeping as much firepower uh, and drawing in liquidity is something we're seeing every other company doing. So where you can do that uh, and where it's not obligated, I think they should be doing that. And, and remember, uh, regular dividends are uh, giving money back to shareholders that's, that's, you know, that's prudent at a time when the company doesn't need the money. I mean, ultimately, it's a disbursement. Uh, this is not a time to be doing that. If you owned a business, you wouldn't be doing that. So I don't see why they would be uh, held to task for that. This merger is something people want to see get done, and I think that's that's the reward here in the stock price. And obviously, this is a you're seeing their scroll in front of you. Suspended dividends, uh, dividends that have been cut in this environment. Uh, Karen, I, I suspect that you would think that there might be more to come, especially if we think that there could be another wave. There could be you know hesitation after reopenings, depending on what happens, et cetera, that the worst is not over when it comes to people who are relying on, on dividend payments. Right. I think that's true. And I, but I agree, Tim. I think it's the prudent thing to do. They should do it. I mean, and you kind of, you know, we talk about companies sort of getting a free pass by with, if they withdraw their guidance now. I think a lot of companies are going to find uh, it a little more palatable to cut or suspend their dividend. Think about it. Disney, right? Disney, not paying their first half uh, dividend. That's yep. kind of amazing to me. And yet we sort of accept that. It's the right thing for them to do. If capital is at all an issue, you have to save it. All right. Coming up. Save the capital, I mean, not yes. pay the dividend. Shares of Cisco higher after reporting results. We will find out how the company is handling the work from home boom. And later, some rare green arrows in today's sea of red. The Chinese Internet stocks jumping today. One of our traders is long one of these names. How he is riding this rally. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Pass Money. We've got an earnings alert on Cisco. The stock is pulling back from its after-hours high with the company's call now underway. Let's get to Josh Lipton with all the details. Josh. So, Melissa, let's just dive right into the segments here. Infrastructure platforms, so that is the company's core uh, networking offerings. That was down 15% to $6.43 billion. Street wanted to see $6.85 billion. Demand on networks has never been greater, Chuck Robbins saying on the call. But this area, executives noting, was particularly hard hit by those supply chain disruptions caused by the pandemic. Then there's the application segment. Teleworking tools are now a lifeline, Robbins saying. Different puts and takes there within that segment. It was down 5% in total to $1.36 billion. But there was a fair amount of talk, Melissa, on this call about WebEx. That's that video conferencing service and Zoom rival. Uh, they gave some new metrics there. 500 million meeting participants for WebEx. 25 billion meeting minutes in April. They say that was more than triple the volume in February. Security, by the way, up 6% to a better than expected 778 million. Robbins saying uh, they are seeing solid growth there. And finally, uh, just uh, he was asked on the call by analysts, how does he sort of frame what's going on now versus prior ec periods of economic uncertainty? Um, Chuck Robbins saying we're in a better position today than in times of previous uncertainty. Why, he said, because of the security portfolio 
modernizing WebEx subscription and SaaS with a strong balance sheet. I feel good, he said on the call. They're looking for Q4 here, EPS of 70, 72 to 74 cents versus expectations of 69 cents. In Q4, they do see a revenue decline of between 8.5 and 11.5%, but analysts had thought they would see a, a decline of 12% in Q4. For more on this, be sure to check out Mad Money Tonight, by the way, our own Jim Cramer sitting down with Chuck Robbins talking about the print and I'm sure a lot else. Rob, uh, Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks so much, Josh Lipton. Um, Guy Dami, I'll go to you. I mean, what's striking, we were just talking about companies getting a free pass when it comes to guidance and for Cisco to come out and actually give guidance for the current quarter when so much of their uh, revenues as a percent is exposed to public sector, it's exposed to uh, schools, for instance, small and medium businesses. I mean, all the things that are shut down or really harmed in, the, in this pandemic. Yeah, they have exposure to. And to your point, I think that's what because if you look at the quarter, by the way, I mean, their operating margins came in way above what the street was looking for. The quarter by itself was a very good quarter. To your point, I mean, there are definitely headwinds they're facing and the guidance they gave for the fourth quarter sort of speaks to that. It's a cheap stock. I don't think I think we all would agree that it's not an expensive stock. Yeah, they don't have the EPS growth that you might want. But it's had a lot of trouble at $44. Go back and look. It's failed there a couple times, and it failed there over the last couple days. The way I would trade this stock, if I were inclined to trade it, is to buy it on a breakout above 44 which I don't think you're going to see right now, or wait for it to pull back to that 39.5 level. Right here, um, you know, you've gotten back half the day's losses, but you know, I think no man's land. So a breakout above 44 or 39.5, Mel. Dan? Yeah, you know, your point, Mel, about the public sector exposure, the enterprise exposure, those are going to be some of the areas where I think if you're looking for um, things to pick on, those would be the headwinds that you would have over the next couple of quarters. But it seems like they've been executing very well. And to your point about their ability to give guidance for the current quarter, given the environment that we're in, that's pretty impressive, too. Subscriptions as a percentage of software sales is almost a 75 percent, and that's up nearly um, I think it's up 9% year over year. So that's what bulls are kind of focusing on. I'll just make one other point. Josh mentioned WebEx. You know, that is the Zoom competitor. WebEx has been around a long time. Zoom has a $47 billion market cap, uh, tra trading about 50 times sales. And Cisco's market cap is a little over three times that of Zoom. I think there's probably some value to be unlocked there if, if Cisco can start to get a bit more momentum in this work from home, uh, learn from home environment over the next year that we're certainly going to be in. All right, coming up, President Trump calling for negative interest rates. So that got us thinking, what would that world look like? We'll break down the three ways you can navigate going negative. And later, nearly 30-year lows for shares of General Electric and options traders are betting on even more pain ahead. We'll break down that trade when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some breaking news coming out of the White House. Kayla Tausch's got the details. Kayla. Melissa, uh, President Trump taking questions from reporters in the cabinet room following an event with the state leadership from North Dakota and Colorado. He was answering a question about an answer that his top infectious disease expert, Dr. Fauci, gave uh, in testimony yesterday, where he said that states that reopen too quickly would face serious consequences. President Trump said that he thinks that comment was not acceptable from Dr. Fauci. He was also asked about companies that take loans intended for small businesses. He said if these big companies receive loans and they don't give them back by a Thursday deadline, then Trump personally will go after them. He also says that he believes that uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell is doing a better job, that his performance has improved with Powell, but said that they are still apart on one key issue, and that is on interest rates. President Trump still believes, he says, that the U.S. should have negative interest rates and that he hopes the Fed Chair will come around on that. And Melissa, this is a position that the president has been touting long before the coronavirus crisis. When I spoke to White House officials at that time earlier this year when the president was touting negative interest rates, at that time they called it brinksmanship but it's unclear with how much the world has changed in that time, whether he truly thinks the U.S. should have negative interest rates now. Melissa? All right, Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausch in Washington. Uh, earlier today, Fed Chair Jerome Powell actually addressed those growing calls for the Fed to entertain the idea of negative rates. Powell saying the Fed has no plans to resort to negative rates for now. So that got us thinking. In a world of negative rates, how do you trade this market? Let's bring in Chris Harvey, the head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, great to have you with us. Great to be back. I think this is the, the big question for, for people out there. So, so just before we get into individual sectors and things like that in a negative rate world, what's sort of the macro view um, of what that world looks like if we had to go to negative rates? Right. So if you, you think about it, if we have negative rates, what kind of environment would that look like? You have to believe that something has gone awry, right? The economy has fallen out of bed couldn't get out of its own way or in some sort of economic malaise. And that's a very difficult environment to be in, and that's a very difficult environment for risk and risk product. So we're not, very, we're not big fans of a negative rate environment, and we don't think it would be, would be great for equities and, and many other risk products. Are you not fans of negative rates because you don't like negative rates and the impact negative rates will have, or because negative rates, if they are adopted, means that they are adopted because the backdrop is so bad? So I think it's, it's a little bit of both, but it's more the latter, right? So negative rates, again, what you have to believe is, is something that's gone awry, and that environment's going to be very difficult to get there. Furthermore, what we've seen from Europe is negative rates is not a panacea. It's not a great situation. It hasn't helped out the Europeans. So I'm not really sure what bringing rates negative would really do, and, and it's problematic for large parts of the uh, the economy is it's problematic for large parts of the capital markets as well, financials or right. otherwise. Okay. Well, let's, let's drill down there. In that negative interest rate world, Chris, what would market leadership look like? So I think market leadership, again, if we, we think about the big picture, you're going to have in all likelihood a lack of growth. So a scarcity of growth, that's going to drive people to your 
high growers, your steady earners. That's going to be your uber-cap tech companies. That's going to be your large-cap growth companies. will be in an environment where there will be a nifty 50-type environment, maybe even a nifty 5. In addition to that, people will probably want some certainty. They'll want those steady earners. You can find that in your utility and utility stocks. Obviously, not as high growth, but if you're going to bring rates to zero or negative, you can justify a pretty high multiple. So Uber caps as well as utilities. And then uh, last question here, and I'm sure the traders will have some too. Uh, market losers, you mentioned banks. Banks are already trading horribly. They're trading as if negative rates is a foregone conclusion, Chris. It's going to get worse even in a negative rate environment when that actually happens? So in a negative rate environment, what I think would occur is you would put more pressure on net interest margins. They would be squeezed one more time. Furthermore, if you're in a, an economic malaise, credit is going to be more difficult. So they'll have to post more reserves. Lastly, one of the reasons why you want to own these companies and, and why I think they've been um, trading a little bit heavy as of late is that capital giveback story. Your payout ratios will come down. So overall, it's a bad environment for multiples, for bank multiples. Mm-hmm. It's a bad environment for EPS or EPS growth for banks. I don't think it's a solvency issue. It's just a matter of this is not an environment where banks can really operate quite well. Okay. Chris, it's always great speaking with you. Got to let you go. Um, Chris Harvey, uh, Karen Feinerman, where do you uh, stand on a negative interest rate playbook and what that world would be like? I, well, I'm not quite sure what it would be like. I mean, Chris brings up a good point. We've seen the experiment in action in Europe, and it really hasn't worked or it hasn't had the intended effect to really start their economy on a big growth cycle. So I, I, I hope we don't get there. I, clearly, it is good for banks. The money center banks do have the benefit of having only half their income from net interest margin, but still, it, it'll, it'll weigh on them. And I think, you know, in that environment also, we have, even though rates are zero or negative, and you could even argue for a super high multiple, I don't think we'll get that on the market at large. So I think it'll be bad for banks. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't I wouldn't do this, but if you really believe negative rates, you want to be long bonds. I'm more afraid of bonds going the other way. Dan, if memory serves me right, you had said it on one of the shows in the past couple of weeks that if we went to negative interest rates, you'd sell everything and quit. That's how strongly you feel? <laughs> no, I said that if the, if the, if the Fed starts buying equities. Um, I don't really care what they do on the interest rate front. They've already made that decision because you can just look at where... Fed fund futures are looking out. Here's the thing, Mel. Um, you know, just look at the SX70. I said this on Monday night. This is the Euro stock bank index. It's down 90% from its all time highs, it's 2% from its all time lows. Um, they're telling you how this trades. The, the, the Topics Bank Index in uh, Japan, down 92% from its all time highs. This is why our banks are going down right now. They are pricing this in. So all of our banks are going lower. The longer that the president keeps pushing Powell and pu- pushing this narrative, it's the, it's just like a weight on the bank's necks here in the U.S. So to me, you know, guys says this all the time about Trump, you know, be careful what he wishes for, because when it happens, lower oil uh, interest rates, they crash. And the circumstances economically have not been pretty good so far. All right, we got some breaking news here. On a cancer drug trial, Meg Terrell's got the details. Meg. 
Hey, Melissa, this is a update on Allergene's uh, cancer drug. Uh, this included in the big data drop ahead of the ASCO um, cancer research conference that takes place in Chicago every June. Well, it's going to be taking place virtually this year and all of that data coming out tonight. Allergene's stock now up almost 15%. Um, this is a drug known as CAR-T, which is that personalized cancer uh, immune cell therapy where uh, in other forms, you're actually taking somebody's own T cells out of their body, genetically modifying them to fight cancer, giving them back. Well, this is an off-the-shelf version of that therapy, a new approach where you don't have to take the person's own T cells. Uh, and so it's early days for this uh, treatment, but they are showing some positive early results in clinical trials in a form of lymphoma. And so you are seeing that drive the stock up now almost 20%, Mel. And we do expect to get to see more data um, at the ASCO virtual conference uh, in just about two weeks. Sending it back to you. All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell, wow, it's now up uh, 20% in the after-hour session. Guy Adami, research goes on uh, in other parts of uh, the drug industry. And it speaks to what we've been talking about now for a while. I mean, one of the things we have gotten correct in the move in big cap pharma and these biotech stocks. You know, I think yesterday we talked about the IBB making this new high. Uh, you go back, you know, what Meg was just talking about. Go back and look what happened to Kite. Go back and look what happened to Juno, all in that same space. I mean, the biotech names, regardless of what you think about their profiting, their prices, the stocks make a lot of sense. I think more so now in this environment. But again, that's something we've been saying now for months. Tim, quick. And balance sheets in biotech, especially at the top of, of the weightings of, of the sector, are, are very strong. And again, right. I mean, look at the, the outperformance. Anyone attaching to CAR-T, whether it was Gilead when they made those acquisitions, that's the space to be in and certainly uh, where you're getting the multiple. All right. Uh, Allergene up 21 percent now after hours. Coming up, the one sentence in a major mall merger that could put the whole thing on the rocks. We'll tell you what it is. Plus, why one analyst thinks the pandemic lockdown could provide a long-term boost for this stock. That's coming up when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Retail taking on the chin today, even as malls and shopping centers begin to reopen. One name in particular that caught our attention, Simon Property Group, getting beaten up. Earlier this year, Simon agreed to acquire Taubman Centers. So what's ahead for that mega merger? The chairwoman is here. She's been reading the fine print on that. So, Karen, what are you watching? Yeah, so as you talked about, they uh, finally announced a merger, and, it, and the stock had gone up from the high 20s up to 5250 which is the price of the merger. And Simon had wanted to buy Talman for years. But now we're in a mall apocalypse, right? And so the question is, is the deal in doubt? And it's sure trading like it is. I mean, this, this is the risk in risk arbitrage. But let's look at the merger agreement, right? These things are really negotiated. Uh, it's a very well thought out um, provision here that's very specific. And this is an airtight merger agreement. It has this sentence. These are things that you cannot use as an excuse to walk, and both sides agreed to this. It is not an excuse, a volcano, a tsunami, a pandemic, and then it goes on and lists other plagues and whatnot. But the pandemic, right, that's a very interesting word in our time. So good for these lawyers for putting that in there because that makes this agreement very tight. But how does this actually play out in the real world? How does this get resolved? It's my guess, Simon, of course, wants out. They're obviously paying way too much. The world has dramatically changed. It is my guess they will try to find some nitpicky thing about the Taubman having to close their malls, which was beyond Taubman's ability to do anything. So I, I don't think that works. But they'll just say, you know what? 
we're not going to close, sue us, we'll be in court for years, maybe you'll win, Taubman, maybe you won't, or accept a skinnier price right now and we'll close the deal. I think that's the most likely way this is resolved, <coughs> but it is certainly with risk. I don't own it. So I don't have the, uh, the cojones to own it. <laughs> nice, polite um, word substitution. Uh, in terms of when that, that specific clause was put in, Karen, you had pointed to this out to me on the phone earlier, and that was early February. So we knew that there was some sort of a health crisis over in China, which was spreading through Europe. And so maybe the writing was on the wall for that very smart lawyer who said, we got to get that pandemic thing in. And you got to wonder on the other side of things what that team of lawyers said in terms of trying to fight that word getting in and then finally giving up and say, you know, we're not going to fight pandemic anymore. Just let it in. What are the odds? And here we are. Um, Guy Adami, in terms of this space, commercial real estate in general, not looking good these days. No. And we addressed it last night. We've talked about it. I mean, CBRE, for example, I mean, they're all seem to be going back to the lows we saw, I think, on March 23rd. But to Karen's point, and if you want to play at the deep end of the pool and you know, what did she say? Cajones? I love that. I think there's a J or an H in there. Regardless, <laughs> you know, you look at a TCO and say this stock's went from 53 down to 38. And if there's no out um, for Simon Properties, maybe TCO on a flyer is an interesting trade. You probably got to do it vis-a-vis options. And again, this is the $100 table. But if I were to go any place, it would be there in the space. A May filing, apparently, uh, for Taubman said that it, the, the deal is still slated to close in the second quarter or the third quarter of 2020, which is the original uh, close date. And then Simon Property on a recent call said they, they didn't give any update on this deal whatsoever. And one analyst over at Mizuho points out that it is impossible to tell if Simon is actually cheap, even though it's gone so far down, because... We don't have any data. They didn't give any data on this call about rent collection or net operating income, Tim. I mean, just like basic things for valuation metrics. Well, and again, the last numbers we got were were that 2020 net operating income was going to be up 1%, um, and the last occupancy numbers were around 94%. I mean, these numbers sound really high um, and and, and very hard to, to fathom in the current environment we're in. So, right. I mean, without Taubman, I mean, look, Simon uh, is, is a name that to me has been uh, emblematic of what's been going on in commercial real estate for some time. We've talked about it for some time. Uh, it's also kind of like investing in home builders back uh, in, in the crisis when you already had this massive move down. But, but where, where were these asset values going to go? Um, and I think you look at major urban centers as well. Um, big problems. Shares of JD.com surging to a fresh two-year high. We will tell you what's got Wall Street so hot on this name. Plus, shares of GE getting hammered in today's sell-off. And one options trader just made a $1.5 million bet on more pain ahead. We'll break down the action right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out JD.com surging to a two-year high today on an upgrade from Mizuho Securities. The firm is bullish on the Chinese Internet retail giant's positioning as the demand for essentials ramps up during the coronavirus shutdown. JD is not the only Chinese Internet stock thriving either. Tencent is higher after reporting earnings this morning, bringing its gains to 20 percent this year. JD will report earnings Friday before the bell. Alibaba is on deck one week later. So could this be a good time to get in on the space? Tim. I think it's a great time. I think the valuations are decent. I, I think uh, certainly in Alibaba's case, it, it, it trades on peg ratios significantly cheaper than U.S. megatech. 
Um, I think when you look at Tencent, like they, the, the, the haves and the have-nots of post-COVID-19, I mean, there, there's major benefits to all of these companies, um, and certainly the, the secular trends in terms of online retail, but in Tencent's case, uh, gaming uh, and, and all of the, the other kind of IT component parts of, of their business, social media, um, they're kind of in the sweet spot. To me, Tencent, I've said this before on the show, to me, it's, it's one of the great incubators uh, in the world, tech incubators in the world. Uh, I own that. I own Baba. I don't own JD. Uh, but I think this is a space that's proven incredibly resilient uh, during the last three months. And I think the valuations support that in addition to the secular trends. Here's a would you rather for Mr. Dan Nathan. By the way, viewers, astute viewers out there have spotted your cat in the background and wonder what its name is. Um, but here's the question for you. Would you rather Amazon or any of the Chinese Internet names here? Uh, it's Tigger and Tom. There's two cats. Um, so interestingly, Mel, you know I'm not going to play your game. Um, no, I, I, you know, ten cent I think is a buy on probably any any on any pullback. And I want to make one point because there was a lot of shade thrown at Stan Druckenmiller uh, today. Uh, you know, listen, back in an interview with Kelly Evans back in December 2017, I think he said where he declared that he loves Amazon and will probably own it forever. He also said he really likes Tencent. Why does he like Tencent? Because they have the Netflix of China. They have the Spotify of China. They have the EA of China. They have messaging. They have social. They have payments. So I think that's really interesting on a day that that stock is making multi-year highs here. Um, so I think Tencent is probably a buy because of all that exposure and their exposure to the Chinese consumer, and especially in a post-pandemic uh, economy. Ticker and Tom. Those are cute names for kitties. Uh, <laughs> that's a sound effect, not the actual cat. Guy Dami, the question for you, since Dan Nathan doesn't want to play my game, you're always willing to play. Of course. Chinese Internet stocks. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I can wax poetic, but whilst you were away, we actually discussed this with Sully, how you know, the Chinese economy is going to fundamentally change, and these Internet stocks are going to be the winner. And for you folks out there that are so inclined, and this is not a plug for any particular reason, but Bunty <clears throat> Vivek Bora, B-O-H-R-A, has... <coughs> I lost you. Oh, no. This happens every single night, at least one time. And so, I mean, 48 minutes, that's not so bad. We lose one. Oh, there he is. Down. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on here. Up next, shares of GE. Hopefully, Guy will come back to life. <laughs> shares of GE down nearly 50% just this year, and options traders are betting on a bigger beatdown for the industrial giant. We will bring you the details, plus one stock seeing some pretty hefty gains as the coronavirus crisis changes the face of America. What name is it, and should you be a buyer? We'll debate that ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The industrials getting caught up in today's sell-off, and that was bad news for General Electric. The stock tumbling more than 3% today, touching its lowest level in nearly 30 years. And over in the options market, one trader is betting on much more pain to come. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So as you pointed out earlier, General Electric is obviously down very sharply on the year. It's dropped about 15% or so since the end of April. And we saw six times the average daily put volume today. And some of that is related to put volume activity that we've been seeing since late April, actually. So we saw some big bearish bets being made then. Somebody was adjusting some of those bearish bets today. They sold some of the prior put spreads, the 6-4 put spreads that they previously held, and bought 43,500 of the July 5 puts. And in fact, over 50,000 ultimately ended up trading. Those were trading for about 33 cents. So 
Buyers of those puts are therefore betting that GE is going to fall below that $5 strike price or below $4.70 by July expiration. And I think it's not just the stock that gives us some clues as to why they might be doing this. Take a look at where GE's debt is trading. That's been trading very poorly throughout the year and, and also quite recently. So obviously, these traders are believing that there's still some further weakness for the equity. Karen, what do you, what do you make of this action? Uh, I think, you know, I always look to the debt, so it's interesting that Mike would say that. Obviously, with their aviation exposure, um, I mean, it's not surprising their debt would be under pressure. So I, I took a flyer a couple years ago on uh, the hope that Culp would be able to turn it around, and uh, that expired way out of the money. Tim, quick, you're, you're still in GE. Yeah, I've got a small position. The CDS, not good. Commercial aircraft will come back. It's going to take some time. It will come back in their industrial balance sheets, the one part of the company that has net cash. So nothing to get excited about, but I, I think the stock is cheap All right. on an asset basis, at least. Mike, thanks for that, Mike Coe. Um, and to catch the full show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time is Options Action. Coming up, the coronavirus pandemic putting health and wellness front and center. And one Wall Street firm says it is time to get overweight this name. <laughs> we'll bring it to you next. Welcome back. The wellness trade winning out Wednesday after Jeffries initiated coverage of Weight Watchers with a buy rating and a $32 price target. That stock popping nearly 5% after the firm said the COVID-19 crisis had unlocked a durable trend that plays right into Weight Watchers' wheelhouse. Consumers prioritizing wellness. That wasn't what I thought, Karen, when I heard this call. I just thought people were home baking bread, making sandwiches, eating chips, and, you know, maybe you need Weight Watchers. That's exactly what I was thinking as well. But um, good for them if they can do if they can have a wellness part and, you know, an overeating part or a dieting part. I actually thought this was interesting. I mean, I, I, I like the company. I like uh, Mindy Grossman, the CEO. Um, the valuation is not crazy here. They've, they've paid down a lot of debt over time. And they talk about in the piece that their digital business is actually twice as much margin as their in-person business. But I think if you look at like a company like Match right now, things are going pretty well. So this is sort of a combination of being with other people online and then the wellness and or dieting part of it. Guy? <laughs> this reeks of would you rather. I mean, I would I, I much didn't rather say, eat I didn't apple. say me, anything you know, grab, about would you rather. Not, I mean, I just grab said an die. Apple. Have an apple. Eat a banana. <laughs> maybe maybe steam some broccoli. There you go. And, and then short weight watchers and buy Peloton. And that's your trade. And you're going to come out looking like a champion there, Mel. I do like the Peloton. That's, that's for sure. Um, it's time for the final trade. So we're going to go around the horn. Why not, right? Tim Seymour, what do you say? So United Health is one of those stocks as the market, uh, when and if it pulls back, you want to have on your list, certainly around 260. But the low teens kind of almost guaranteed EPS is something you want to buy uh, when you get that moment. Dan, Nathan, or Tigger and Tom, brother and sister, brother and brother, sister and sister related? No, they're both rescues. They came named. They're nice cats. Uh, they're not mine, though. They're the kids and the wife. Hey, here's the thing. One word, <laughs> Oprah. I mean, come on, guys. This is a data play. This is a data play. I think it's an, actually an interesting call right here. I would just say with the XLF, I'd be a seller of banks on rallies. Really hard to press them here, though. Dan denying the cat. Karen. <laughs> 
Yeah, so this is a retail I've had my eye on for almost two years. It was always too expensive, and that's TJX. Um, I bought it today, and I understand at the moment it's not the best place to be, although they'll get goods for cheap this year, that's for sure. But in the longer term, I think the business will bounce back. Guy Dami, you know what song I really wish you could, we could play right now? <laughs> Final trade, Guy Adami. <laughs> I can't wait for Top Gun Maverick to come out. My sense is this horrendous song will make its way into it, and I'll watch it despite that fact. But Netflix, if you're hanging out, look at that sucker. Continues to go higher, Mel. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.